the volume. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at, at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Boxing with Chris Mannix is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to bet the action than on FanDuel Sportsbook during the football season. I bet on FanDuel as often and as comfortably as I possibly can. It is America's number one sportsbook. It's easy to use. It's safe and secure. There are fast payouts in as quick as two hours. So many bet types. Same game parlay bets, live betting, player props, futures, and so much more. If you are new... Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started right now. Sign up with the promo code BOXING so they know I sent you. This is Boxing with Chris Mannix. Oh, somebody punch him in the face. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. All right, joining me now on his way to the cantina. I haven't even checked in. What are you talking about, cantina? You see my bag and my suit, right? Are you going straight to the bar or to your room first? I am going to the bar with Todd Grisham, (laughs) and then I'm going straight to my room. Mojito time. Mojito time. You, this is like work trips. You, you didn't go to college, but work trips are like spring break for you. I went to junior college, <laughs> and I took some classes. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're, it's work and a little bit of play, yes. A lot of spring break at junior college, was there? Come on, man. Of just asking. Not. Of course not. Associates, uh, uh, what I get? M- Wait, M-A-S. didn't you almost, like, aren't you, like, half a credit shy? Or v- I am six units shy of a... Uh, of, um, a bachelor's or something like that. Okay. 
Why don't you go? You went through all that to be six years shy. Because I got my PhD in boxing. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure you did. Sergio Mora, the former junior middleweight champion, DAZN broadcaster, frequent guest here on the podcast. Sergio, we are in San Diego for, I would say, the highly anticipated Chocolatito Julio Cesar Martinez fight. That's Saturday on DAZN. Before we get to that, the story in boxing over the last few days has been a familiar one. Bad judging. Josh Taylor, the undisputed 140-pound champion, he fought Jack Catterall last weekend in Taylor's hometown of Glasgow. Um, it was a competitive fight. Most people thought at the end of it that Catterall had done enough to win. Taylor got the decision, which led to widespread outrage once again over the state of boxing judging. Frank Warren, he came out and said he doesn't want British judges anywhere near the Tyson Fury Dillian White fight. Everybody is up in arms about getting judging fixed in boxing. Sergio, we go through this like every six weeks when there's a bad decision. You and I were ringside when Raymond Ford looked like he lost his most recent fight and he was given a gift decision. Boxing judging is bad, but nobody seems to know how to fix it. As a former fighter, as someone who we've talked about this, you feel you have been on the wrong end of bad decisions, most notably, was it the first or second fight with Vera, or both? It was both, but I'll tell you which one hurt more. It was the Shane Mosley one because it was on a higher uh, platform. It was a pay-per-view HBO fight. It was, I left a lot of money on the table. It was a horrible fight as a fan. I get that, but I won that fight. I don't want to go backwards, but in retrospect, I, I wish I could have done something different if I knew I was going to get judged the way I did. How do you fix boxing? The million-dollar question. Well, you hit them judges where it hurts them, the pockets. So you suspend them. You make an, a, an example out of them. If you don't make example out of judges, then not, it, nothing's going to change. They're going to get another fight, another event. They're, if, if they help the promoter out or the promoter's fighter, they're going to get hired by that promoter. It's all politics. It's all, what are you going to do for me? I'm going to do for you type thing. I scratch your back, you scratch mine. That shouldn't be the case because one fight, can change a fighter's trajectory in his career and it changes his life man not only does it take away put a zero on his record but it takes away zeros from his next check these are things that people just sweep under the table and fans and people in the media but for the fighter it lingers it sticks around it that blemish is always going to be on your record and i i swear to you man it, you get this bad taste on your mouth not for the sport you get a bad taste in your mouth for, like, uh, of course, the judging, but you just get bitter and you become dark. And the bigger the fight, the darker you get. Um, it, it it really is sad because Catterall, that was for all the belts. Yeah. It doesn't get bigger than that. It does not get bigger than that. I mean, if you were to dream up the, the ideal situation of how you can steal someone's dreams, that's it right there. For all the belts on the biggest stage, Catterall was an unknown. This is exactly what that one shot is. Like the, in the Eminem 8 Mile song, you get one shot, one opportunity to seize everything you ever wanted. Would you capture it or let it go? He captured it. Guess who let it go? Them freaking judges. It's disrespectful. Yeah, the, the fundamental change that needs to happen in judging is that there needs to be a global ranking system, just like there are in every other major sport. In the NBA, a sport that I cover, there is a ranking system for referees, and only the best-ranked referees get the biggest uh, 
assignments, namely the NBA Finals. It's the same thing in the NFL. I believe it's the same thing in the NHL. This kind of thing happens. There should be, at least at the bare minimum in the U.S., a national system for this, preferably one that's globally. But that's a lot to ask for a sport that continues to shoot itself in the foot. How about this? I feel like you and I have had this discussion before, too. How about this? You have a main event. That main event should feature the three best judges in boxing. You and I know there's a short list for that. You've got Steve Weisfeld. You've got Glenn Feldman. Don Trella might be on that list. Probably four or five. Julie Letterman is someone I have a lot of respect for. Like, you should, for every big-time main event, those three or three of those judges should be involved. Now, as we record this on Thursday, I don't know who the judges are in the Chocolatito uh, Gonzalez or Chocolatito Martinez fight, but... If I'm Chocolatito, I'm concerned about it because I just had Carlos Sucre totally fuck me over in the last fight. Whoa, I'm just whoa. saying, like this is like, like touchy subject. No, Manix. but like you're right, and like I, I'm, I shouldn't be as offended as this as you are because you're the fighter and you're out there risking your life, you know, <laughs> and to have some dweeb sitting ringside that gets it wrong or or worse, maybe corrupt. That's be maddening. I'd be going for their heads and their the necks. I love the passion because you're talking like a fighter, which I know you're not. And let me tell you, I've been bitter for a long time. That Mosley yes, fight. Yes, you have. That, oh. that Mosley fight, that Shane Mosley fight. Just about uh, that. That, that. That ruined me in some, in a lot of ways. The Vera fight in Texas, you know, you expect it. It's Texas versus a Texan. The rematch, yeah, that one got me. But the Mosley, that, that, that one really uh, uh, emotionally tortured me. And I just hated the sport. It made me bitter. But, um. I wasn't fighting for all the belts. I wasn't fighting for undisputed. Catterall would have changed the world. He would have become he would have became what the fifth or sixth fight fighter in the four belt era to become undisputed. He would have went down in history. You know that you don't get moments like that again. You know, so even if he does get the rematch, which I know he won't, the stars won't align for him like that again. Because Josh Taylor's not gonna take him to sit, uh, lightly the same way. He's gonna know what to expect. He's a shorter southpaw. He fought him the right way. That was a magical moment. And 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 sadly was taken away from him. That was a robbery. It wasn't a blatant robbery. It was just a nice. It was a nice like, come on, man. What did you guys see here? You guys should have. He deserved it. Maybe that's the word. He deserved it. It yeah. wasn't a highway robbery. He deserved it. Catterall will get another chance at one of those belts. But you're right. Like the money that comes with being undisputed is significantly bigger than what comes with just being a one-time title holder or whatever he will become uh, down the line. Taylor, he's going to move up. I look. I was at one point. Pretty excited about Josh Taylor against Terrence Crawford. Not so much anymore. Not maybe it's I, I should shouldn't read too much into one performance, but that version of Josh Taylor, ooh, that's not going to be good against Crawford. That's no, I don't think we'll see that version version again. I I think uh, you know with a fighter like Josh Taylor that you know he had the coming off the biggest win of his career, he was still riding high. You know, fought in his hometown. Everyone's been there. You know, uh, um, being on top of the world with all the belts, fighting in your hometown, and you come up short. You come up short. You don't have you know, the full focus, the full hunger that you normally do. It happens to every hometown fighter. I call it the hometown curse, Mannix. I hated it. There's a lot of fighters out there that hated it. Josh Taylor's going to feel the same way. All right, let's talk about some drama in boxing now. Uh, it was just 15 months ago, Sergio, when we were in Texas to watch Ryan Garcia climb off the deck, knock out Luke Campbell with a vicious body shot. The first person in the ring to congratulate him was Eddie Reynoso. Eddie Reynoso is gone from Ryan Garcia's life. One of the next people in the ring was Canelo Alvarez. Canelo and Ryan Garcia have had a back-and-forth 
uh, in interviews uh, for Ryan Garcia on social media, where he's uh, quite the popular uh, person. Uh, give me a reaction to kind of this, you know, quick fallout and getting ugly fallout between Ryan Garcia and Team Canelo. The first question that pops up into my head is why? Why leave Eddie Reynoso when you've been perfect with him? 5-0, and five knockouts, two of them in the first round. Sensational. He's been looking great. How do you leave perfection? How do you leave a camp where you're being uh, under the, the wing of the number one fighter on the planet? How do you leave a camp that has Oscar Valdez? I mean, you're leaving perfection. You're leaving perfection because you're not getting the attention. Well, maybe you don't deserve all the attention. Maybe... Maybe that hunger that, you, uh, that you're lacking is there. The fact that you're not getting the shine, the fact that you're not getting 100%, maybe that's what's making you hungry. Look at, Fre look at Freddie Roach's fighters under Manny Pacquiao. They did well. Every fighter that Red Freddie Roach had on the undercards of Manny Pacquiao and the champions that he's had, they did well. They all went on the same trajectory. They won. And in this sport, all that matters is winning and winning impressively. Well, Ryan I mean, Garcia no, was hold on. winning I'll, I'll impressively. You continue, you continue. But to be accurate, Jose Ramirez won a world title with Freddie Roach and then left him in part because he didn't feel like he was getting the attention from Freddie. All I remember hearing what you said right now is world that title. he won. Yes. And it won, won a world title. That's how I remember. So Freddie Roach, world title, left. That's his fault. And what happened next? Ramirez... You know, lost. Um, well, he went on to become unified. Uh, unified, he beat, but now he, he beat Maurice Hooker. <laughs> you know, that was a pretty big win. Okay, and that, then he got pretty beat up by Josh Taylor. That yeah, was might have decision, not been the case it, with Freddie Roach. All right, uh, with Ryan Garcia, yeah. I, I just think you know, with Ryan Garcia, he's such a popular fighter that he's taking a page out of his promoter's uh, promoter's book, uh, Oscar De La Hoya. What do you have? A handful of trainer changes, five, six trainer changes, Oscar De La Hoya. Ryan Garcia's on his third, and he's barely, what, 22 years old? Mm -hmm. He's on the same route as Oscar De La Hoya, same. And look at the Golden Boy had a Hall of Fame career, made hundreds of millions of dollars. Ryan Garcia is going to be on the same trajectory. He's following the same way, taking the same page. If it works for him, good. But you're asking me as a fighter, why leave perfection? Why leave the trainer of the year? Why leave training under the, the guide of the number one fighter in the world? I just do not understand it. Well, then... What if what Ryan Garcia has said is true, that Eddie Reynoso was not around as much as he needed him to be to be his trainer? And Ryan even dragged Virgil Ortiz into what, this. I'm going to repeat what I just said. Maybe that made him hungry. It's kind of like not How having... Does, a, I don't really get that, though. Uh, like I'm about made, to explain okay. it. You grew up with a father at home, right? I did, yes. You're not hungry. I had no father okay. figure at home. That makes you hungry. That makes you different. That makes you, yeah, it makes you a little bit, you know, bitter. It makes you like I'm missing a something. But a, but a chip on your shoulder, like I'm missing something. You go looking for, 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 what you, for what you didn't have. That hunger or whatever you want to call it. Maybe I'm using the wrong word for hunger. But that missing part. Edge. edge. There you go. That missing part in your life or in your camp is what's going to keep you wanting more, keep you hungry. And and I think that maybe was what Ryan Garcia had in, in that camp with Eddie Reynoso, the fact that he was a little bit bitter or jealous or the fact that he wasn't getting the shine, but he didn't deserve the shine. You're under Canelo's wing. You're in Canelo's camp. You're Canelo's trainer. You're number two. Accept that and keep striving for more. Keep being hungry. That's what makes fighters, the hunger. Whenever you get all the shine, you get all the attention, Maybe that hunger is going to take a back seat. We're going to find out. You know, every time you see my father, you 
say, I wish I had a dad. Mr. Mannix, I love you. I love you. I don't even know you, but I love you. Dad. Um, <laughs> one thing I know you like, though, is that even though you don't like the split between Eddie Reynoso and Ryan Garcia, you do like that Ryan Garcia is now working with Joe Goosen. Why mm. is Joe Goosen the right fit for Ryan Garcia? I, I, I like Joe Goosen for Ryan Garcia because Ryan Garcia has a, a erect style of fighting. He fights you know, kind of stiff. Diego Corrales type. Diego Corrales had a mean left hook. Ryan Garcia has a mean left hook. But aside from Corrales, the Relas brothers, Gabriel and Rafael Relas, same thing. They fought straight up. They had mean left hooks, good uppercuts, fought behind a jab. He likes lanky power punchers. He trains them really hard. They get great sparring in Southern California Valley area. And Joe Goosen is one of the greatest trainers in the world. Not only not only that, but he he puts the work in. Every great trainer, from Freddie Roach to Joe Goosen to Eddie Reynoso, they have the IQ, they know how to bring the strategy, but they put in the work. You got to work hard if you're going to be in their gym. And I've trained in the Valley with, with Goosen. I've trained some of his, uh, his, uh, his uh, fighters. I mean, I sparred with them. And what they lacked in talent, they made up in hard work. And they made things even. So Ryan Garcia has the talent. With Joe Goosen, he's going to have the hard work. And he doesn't take no shit. Joe Goosen doesn't take no shit. Yeah, one thing I like about Joe is that he has had a burning desire to work with Ryan for years. He worked with Ryan as an before, amateur. Yeah, he worked with Ryan before he turned pro, and he's often told me he's like, "Man, I, you know, I, I don't know if he's, I don't know if Joe has the appetite to work with a whole bunch of fighters. I don't think he wants to be this guy with this deep stable, especially not since he's so involved in television now. But he really wanted to work with Ryan Garcia, and now he gets a chance." to help mold someone that he's told me. He's like, I don't believe Ryan Garcia can be defeated. Like, he thinks Ryan Garcia at his best can go undefeated the rest of his career. That's a big statement and a bold statement to make. And we've seen Ryan get chin-checked at least once uh, during his time um, as a professional. And he passed the test. But, like, I mean, I I can see it. Like, if Joe Goosen can add to Ryan Garcia what he did with Diego Corrales, Ryan Garcia is going to be a special fighter. And if Ryan Garcia really does feel like he needs the day-to-day attention. Well, Joe Goosen moved down to San Diego. Like, Joe Goosen ain't doing that for anybody. Joe Goosen is in the gym with Ryan Garcia on the regular. So I'm I'm very interested to see how this partnership pays off. I will say this, though, Sergio. A lot of pressure on Joe Goosen. Like, if Ryan goes out and looks like crap against Emmanuel Tego, uh, Joe's going to take some heat for it. Right or wrong, he's going to take some heat for it. Have you seen how that man dresses? I do. He has a bigger ego than both of us put together. He knows how to dress. He knows how to act. And he knows how to handle pressure, my friend. So don't worry about the pressure he when it comes denim, to Goosen. He makes denim cool right You're there. Damn right. Joe Goosen. All right. Uh, Canelo Alvarez, we brought him up. He has been. He is in San Diego as well. It's sort of weird, by the way, that these guys are like, <laughs> I don't know how many miles from each other. Like Ryan's training in San Diego still. Canelo's in San Diego. But Canelo was in San Diego for the kickoff press conference uh, for his fight against Demetri Bevel on May 7th. That's a fight that's going to be on a DAZN pay-per-view. Um, Canelo was very complimentary of Demetri Bevel, saying not only does he believe Bevel is the top guy at 175, but among all the options that Canelo had to face uh, and chose from over the next few months, including Jamal Charlo, David Benavidez, uh, Makabu, the cruiserweight, he believes Bevel is the toughest fight that he could have taken. Do you agree with that? Yes, I do, because uh, if you look at if you look at uh, Dimitri Bivol, he reminds me of two of, of Canelo's past opponents, a little bit of Kovalev, not just the Russian side, but the size, but Kovalev and Jacobs. Kovalev did well behind the jab, 
He did well with his size. Uh, and I think Daniel Jacobs did well with his movement, his ring generalship, the game plan he brought into the ring, and the confidence. Uh, Bevo brings both those things with Canelo. Um, I think the style matchup is going to give issues to Canelo because you need two things to give uh, Canelo issues. You need a move. You can't stand in front of him. Bevo is a power chess player. You know, he doesn't stand in front of you like he showed with Joe Smith. You know, he couldn't stand in front of him. And he could take a punch because Joe Smith can, you know, break through a wall. You know that he has a cinder block fist, and he cracked. He cr he cracked Bevo in that what in tenth the final round. rounds in tenth the tenth round. round. Bevo took it, so we know he could take a punch from a. Might a not take it though if he he the bell he'll, rang. <laughs> like, he'll take a punch from Canelo because Canelo doesn't have Joe Smith Jr. Uh, power like that. Speed he backs it up with like speed. Yeah, no, as you know, he's adds an the explosive power. puncher, but it's not that 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 cinder block power. So he's going to be able to take Canelo's power. And he's going to be able to carry a strategy all the way in the end. Anytime you interview uh, uh, Dimitri Bivo, he always talks about the jab, staying composed, following the game plan. And that's the reason he's not knocking out guys like he used to. What, in his last five, six fights, he's gone the distance. He started off as a power puncher. That goes to show you that he plays power chess. He has the power to, to, to take you out, but he's also a chess player. He's a grandmaster. He's a Russian, for God's sake. Of course he's going to be good at that. Yeah, but you, know, you know what my concern with Bivol is? I agree with everything you said. The guy's highly skilled, and he's got some pop. Um, what's happened to him in the last few years? Like, he came up the ranks, and it, there were people comparing him to Golovkin back then, like the Russian Golovkin, knockouts yeah. at 175. He blasted away, I think, like 11 of his first 13 or something like that. Then over the last couple of years, and maybe it began with Joe Smith or around that time, but it's Joe Smith, Lennon Castillo, Craig Richards, uh, his most recent fight. Um, he's not knocking guys out. Now, I asked Beevil about this, and something he said to me was like, listen, basically it takes two to tango, right? Like, guys are not coming to fight him to win. I don't know if I agree with that, Sergio. I think I think guys are coming to fight. I, I just don't see the same risk-taking with Dimitri Beevil. And I've said this on this podcast countless times. You can't just jab your way to a win against Canelo. You can use it as a weapon. Yes, you can. Mayweather did it. Canelo was like 17 or whatever he was. He was Eddie Londi Lara almost did it. Almost. Didn't do it. I'm just saying you can't do it. Yes, and you grenades can. and horseshoes, man. Almost Yes, count. you can. But you can't just do it with a jab. You have to do it with That's ring generalship too. Bevo has that ring generalship. You got to do a power, he, though. He you got to. Golovkin, Golovkin should have won power the jab. first fight. That was a power jab. And he engaged That with was him, aggression though. and a power jab. But yes, the, the jab was the main thing with, in that first fight especially. But it was Canelo. power. Like, it was power. By, and it was standing in the ring and trading. Like, the Kovalev fight, it was close. But I didn't, I didn't think Kovalev was going to win because he just kept flicking that jab. Yeah, look, there was it, nothing behind see, it. See, you know, we took a lot of Big heat. right hand, but never threw of, it. We took a lot of heat for that Kovalev-Canelo uh, uh, fight because we didn't give enough credit to Kovalev. But we saw that jab. It wasn't a penetrating jab. He wasn't trying to hurt yeah, Canelo. It was a Buddy McGirt flick jab. He was, was pat, he was patting the, the, the front of his gloves. And if you're watching that on television... Maybe you're thinking, okay, while well, that jab's keeping him at bay, but it wasn't doing nothing. It wasn't hurting Canelo. Canelo was closing the distance with his lower body, getting closer and closer, and we knew why. We knew that he was confident that he was going to get to him. Um, no, you need a smart jab. Caleb Plant had a smart jab, but he didn't have the experience to do anything else. I think Plant had a good game plan. Uh, he just didn't have the experience. Now he does. Now he can come back and have... You know, uh, he can go through the fire, but you need that experience. And with Bevo, I think that Joe Smith Jr. gave him the experience that he needed because he knows he's one punch away from getting rocked. You got to throw right hands, though, at some point. Like, none of the opponents Canelo has faced since Golovkin have thrown right hands. Like, whether it's Kovalev, Callum Smith, Billy Joe Saunders, 
Um, Avni Yildirim doesn't really count. He because was never Canelo really. Because Canelo is so uh, explosive, and you saw what happened when Planted. when 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 uh, when you do commit to a right hand, the more you commit to power, the more vulnerable you are to power, and that's the reason people are timid, or or at least leery to throw right hands against Canelo. Because if you fall off balance or miss the target, it's good night. You know what I love about what Canelo did after announcing this fight, as he came out and without naming names. He said to Jamal Charlo, to Demetrius Andre, fight to each David other. Benavidez, fight each other. Fight each you want, other. You want me? Go through each other. You know what? They now have. I'm Matense, cabrones. I, I'm very curious say. to see how this plays out because Canelo's next like 18 months are probably booked. He is going to fight um, this this May against Bevel. He is then going to face, God willing, Gennady Golovkin in a showdown between two of the biggest names of the last 15 years. Uh, and then he's going to go into a December fight where I've been told that it's more likely, it's likely to be Junior Makabu at Cruiserweight or maybe John Ryder if he wants to have a fight over in the UK. W- whatever it is, I think it's going to be an international fight. I think Canelo wants to take his show on the road, uh, whether it is in Guadalajara in Mexico or over in the UK against a guy like Ryder. And then you get into May of 2023, and if we have a winner between Archer Betterbiev and Joe Smith with three-piece of the 175-pound title, he's probably going to fight the winner of that fight. So Canelo, in two fights, can become undisputed at 175. We know he loves history, wants to be to build on his legacy. So with Canelo saying, guys, I'm done until September of 2023, that puts a lot of pressure on the guys we, t- we talked about to do something. On Charlo to face Benavidez, a fight that should be incredibly easy to make on the PBC side. Andrade against Benavides. If it's being talked about. Joe he, Smith versus Better BF. Well, that's going to happen no matter what. Like, that's going yeah. to happen. Like, you know, that's penciled in for the summer. So I'm not talking specifically about that. But I'm talking about the Andrades, the Charlos, the Benavides, any of these guys that want to fight Canelo, he's saying to them, stop waiting for me to choose you. Stop begging for me to choose you. Make me want to choose you. Make Earn the opportunity. Unlike, really, nobody's done it over the last couple of years. Uh, with Canelo. The guy like Bevel maybe didn't earn the opportunity, but he has he's the same as Caleb Plant. Plant didn't earn the opportunity either. He had something Canelo wanted, which was a title. Same thing with Demetri Bevel. Say what you want about Gennady Golovkin. He earned the opportunity. He fought 24 hard rounds with Canelo Alvarez, and nobody can say there was a definitive winner in either one of those fights. Next year, better BF Smith winner, that fighter will have earned the opportunity. I hope that guys like Charlo and Benavidez and Andrade take this as a message and say, I'm getting in the ring with these guys. And then come middle of next year, Canelo's going to look around and be like, that's the obvious guy. That's the guy. Benavidez beat Charlo, beat Andre. He's the next guy that I should fight. Make me want you. Isn't that a song from the 80s? I don't know. Maybe. Oh, no. It's I want you to want me. (laughs) No, but listen, you make a lot of sense, man. I mean, uh. And Canelo makes a lot of sense because El Jefe, the big boss, he can sit on top of the throne because he's the king and everyone wants the payday. They want that payday. Payday, payday. So they want that payday and Canelo's holding that payday in front of him. And now he's saying, look, man, you got you guys want to come and, 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 and take this crown off my head. Why do you need to deserve it, man? You guys need to fight amongst each other. And it's a smart thing to do because Canelo can't keep uh, going person because he's bound to get caught he's bound to have a bad night he's bound to get injured you can't keep fighting every monster they put in front of you because he's been doing that since he was 16 years old 
You know, so maybe he can. Like the no, problem is no, no, no. You can't continue doing that, man. Especially going up in weight like like he's been doing. There's there's a limit. There's a limit, man. These are natural 168 and 175 pounders. This is a five foot eight, you know, stocky, explosive, great Mexican. But there's limits, man. There's limits. The winner of Better BF Smith would be. That's the uh, limit, man. That's and that's and, that's a tough fight. And look, I'd rather I'd rather him face go to cruiserweight and face Ilanga Junior Makabu than a Joe Smith Junior or a Better BF type winner because those are some legitimate. 175 pound monsters and it only takes one punch and both of them can crack both of them are the two of the biggest punchers in boxing they don't need to hit you cleanly they can they can hit you with half a fist and they're gonna rock you like you've never been rocked before that's that's the the scary part about going up in weight that it only takes half a punch yeah. they don't have to hit you cleanly the idea that canelo is ducking anybody is absurd just Utterly absurd. And uh, these guys can prove that they... Rubbish. They are worthy of the opportunity by fighting each other. Simple as that. All right. Let's talk about this weekend. On Friday, Jose Ramirez returns. His last fight was in May of 2021 uh, against Josh Taylor. Lost a close decision in a battle for the undisputed 140-pound championship. On Friday, he returns. He's in Fresno, his home area. And he takes on a tough opponent in Jose Pedraza. A couple things here, Sergio. Um, I was surprised that Ramirez stayed at 140. Like, he's kind of a big guy for 140 pounds, sturdy, stocky. I'm not stocky, but well-built for that weight. He stays at 140 because he wants to get his titles back, and he's coming back against Pedraza, who is not... This is not a gimme fight. Jose Pedraza has won, I think, three, four fights in a row since his loss to Jose Zapata. He has been in with Vasily Lomachenko. He lost by knockout to Gervonta Davis, but he's faced tough competition. Uh... I'm a little concerned about Ramirez in this fight. Ramirez is surprisingly a big guy. When uh, when he fought Maurice Hooker and I sized him up, he's five foot ten, you know, and and Ho- he he he's a big one forty pounder. And I think if he goes back down, he can pick up those straps again. He can be uh, a force at one forty. One forty seven can wait. There's still big money at one forty. Look at Teofimo Lopez. That would be a big fight, huge fight if he can fight. Him, I mean, he can get a, a rematch uh, with with uh, Taylor. I mean, that would be a big fight as but well. But you don't think like Regis Progray, right? Re- but you don't think that I, I'd love to see another fight with love with Progray. But I lo- or I'll fight with Progray. Um, like Teofimo, after he lost, was like, man, I shouldn't have stayed at one thirty five. Josh Taylor, after he lost, was kind of like, man, I probably shouldn't have stayed at one forty. Like that's what's in my head as I look at this fight. Like, are we going to have a repeat of all that where? Ramirez loses to a good fighter in Pedraza, who is, I think, more comfortable at 140 pounds right now. Uh, if he loses a fight like that, does he? Do we hear afterwards, man? I should have gone to 147. You never know, man. When it comes to when it comes to fighters, they've been they've been making weight since they were kids. We've been making weight since we were kids, since we we're amateurs. We know how to how to um, dehydrate the right way. We know how to time our body. We know how to you know taper down and, and hit the mark. But the older yeah, but you, they don't. The like, older Taya you Fimo get. Didn't. Like he's young. Old, well, he got a little bit. Um, he's Josh always, Taylor's young. He's always been a big, big uh, a one thirty five pounder. Teofimo's huge. So wasn't Josh Taylor, huge. but he stayed. At, but he looked awful. I haven't, I haven't sized up Taylor, but he's five ten. This big guy. Um, Teofimo's. I, I don't know how he makes one thirty five. Yeah, how he ever, how he ever made it. Even though he'll be a huge one forty pounder, because I look at Regis Progre, decent size one forty pounder, but nowhere the size of a Teofimo Lopez or the height. Of a of a Ramirez or a Josh Taylor, these are tall, muscular fighters. 
but anyway, you know how to taper down. And the older you get, the harder it gets. And if you, it's a science. Making weight is a science. And sometimes fighters take advantage of that science because they know that, you know, what they've been doing for so long. But All right, the so the older, bottom line is you, think it's, a, you, you get, think it's fine for Ramirez to stay yeah, at 140? Yeah, I want him to stay at 140. Okay. leaving a lot of money on the table. He made a name for himself. Becoming a unified champion at 140. He can be a two-time champion at 140. He could still be one of the top dogs there. I, I still consider him one of the top dogs because, I mean, he, he lost to Josh Taylor, a guy that beat uh, Regis Prograde. Some good yeah. fights at 147, though. I'm not just talking about the Spences I, and the Crawfords. I'm I, talking about Virgil Ortiz, who is now an I think option that would be Virgil is gone. I from think that's a bad idea going up to 147, especially if you're going to be fighting a young and up-and-coming fighter like Virgil Ortiz, who hasn't matured into being a star yet. Once he, I mean, he's dangerous. Yeah. We know he's he's the goods. We know he's going to be a star, but he's not there yet. But at 147, the, vel- the belts are going to fragment at some point. Like, Spence is going to go. Like, you know, Crawford probably will still be there for a while. But, like, yeah, this, but this Ramirez is going to, Ramirez already had the belts. He wants the money. He wants the he big wants fights. He wants belts, too. Like, he wants to see he wants the big fights, man. For those. He wants the big fights. I, I don't think he'll want to pick fights. a bacon strap. What's a big fight? I guess Teofimo was a big fight. Teofimo's a huge fight. A rematch with yeah. Taylor is a huge fight. Uh, Progray, gone, Progray will be a popular fight down south. Taylor's good. No, for Progray's good. Yeah, I'm All with you on these that are one. big money fights. And Progray would do it at 147 too. I like think. One, I think when it comes to Ramirez, that's after his first loss, belts don't matter. He wants the big fights and big money. Uh, Pedraza is a live dog in this fight, and I'm going to talk light. more about this on my uh, pick segment of this podcast. But Pedraza is a very live dog in this fight. All right, let's finish with the big one: Chocolate Tito against Martinez. Super flyweight. No titles on the line in this one. And nobody cares because you don't need a title on the line uh, in a fight like this. Sergio, we were ringside a month ago when Bam Rodriguez beat Carlos Cuadras. That was a 112-pounder, you know, just up to 112, coming up to 115 to face a veteran, experienced, highly successful 115-pounder in Cuadras. How likely is it that we see a uh, another 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 situation like that unfold in this fight on Saturday? There's a possibility, but those are two completely style styles that you're talking about, and two different personalities and temperaments. And Bam Rodriguez, who's composed, who's quiet, who who followed the game plan all the way to the end, didn't take chances, uh, but still got the respect. And then when you're talking about Julio Cesar Martinez, who's feisty, you've seen him in the fighter meetings. He's having fun. You see when he's fighting, he's hitting himself in the chin. He takes a big shot. He gives a big shot. He fights explosive. He he can make an older fighter, an older legend in Chocolatito, not only feel 34 years old, not only look like he's 34 years old, but he has the power to 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 remind him that, that he's an old legend. So Martinez is very, very dangerous, explosive fighter, and he comes from from different angles. That's the one thing that older fighters hate when they have to pin down a mover and when they have to always be on 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 their their toes because a, a punch can come from either angle so explosively. Like when I fought Shane Mosley, for instance, after the fight he told me that's that's the biggest thing that he couldn't everyone thought Shane Mosley was gonna run over me. But I never gave him a chance to to plant his feet because I was always moving footwork, and and that's what Martinez brings to the table aside from big power is switching from lefty to righty, punching from awkward angles, coming in with a left uppercut and then a body shot. You don't prepare for that. You can't prepare for that. So that's what Martinez is bringing to this table. The fact that he's younger, he's hungrier, he's he, he just punches from these awkward, unexpected angles. 
And when you're a legend like Chocolatito, the last thing you want to do is track down a young, feisty, you know, fighter like this. You want you want him to engage, but you don't want him to engage from a southpaw angle, from from an orthodox angle, coming from the left, coming from the right. It, it's very tricky to pin down. That's what older fighters hate. So Chocolatito saw this stat the other day is 20 and one against yes, Mexican Mexicans, fighters yep. with the one loss being last year against Estrada, and that should have yeah. gone the other way. At yeah. least that Carlos Sucre card. Shout out Carlos Sucre for one of the worst cards I've ever seen. That was a horrible card. <laughs> Canelo, horrible fighter, horrible card. Horrible. Horrible card. Um, you're Mexican-American. Uh what, what do you read into that? Like, it, a guy that successful, that's not a small sample size, sir. That's 21 fights against Mexican fighters, and he's arguably beat them all 21 times. Do you remember who they called the Mexican assassin, a boxer? No. Roger Mayweather. The, the late, great Roger Mayweather. And he was very successful against uh, Mexican fighters, but he was def- a defensive fighter. He had that Mayweather shoulder roll. He had good power. You know, he became a champion doing that. When it comes to... Chocolatito, we asked him in the fighter meetings. I asked him at least. I go, why are you so su- successful? He says, well, Mexicans come to fight. No, I asked him that. Stop stealing my... I was the one that brought well, the stat to him. Yes, you know what? You brought it up and I added on it. Yes. <laughs> Did you? you and, I'm uh, so glad you were and, there. And it's, the fact, that, it's the fact that Mexicans come to fight. A chocar is what he said, to crash. You know, they come to they, they come for a crash. They come to, you know, you don't have to go find them. They're so not why cuties. should this be any different then? If you have a Mexican fighter that's coming to fight, like, why shouldn't we believe that Chocolatito, who still looks like he's at the top of his game, there's going to be any other outcome? Because Martinez punches from these awkward angles, okay. and that's not a Mexican style, man. It's, that's that's like a Nazim, uh, um, uh, a Nazim uh, Ahmed, no, 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 Nazim Ahmed, no. Ahmed type fighter where he comes from different angles and he carries the power. That's scary to fight because you don't know when he's going to punch. He's punching from these awkward angles and he carries power. You think he's not going to carry the power up to 115. I just don't know. It's not I, I've seen yet. I'll tell you that it doesn't matter. The unexpectedness, it's, it's the fact that he's punching you from a different angle. That's what's going to catch him off guard. The power is going to be there regardless. I mean, the strength. But if he punches from an angle that you're not accustomed to being punched from, that's what's going to hurt you. So uh, one question I have, though, coming in is that you look at the last six, seven fights from Martinez. He averages like 50, 60, in between 50 and 60 punches uh, per round per fight. Chocolatito is like at over 100. The sheer volume of punches that Chocolatito throws are staggering. Like, how do you how do you bridge that gap? Like, it, it, to me, it seems like, Sergio, that Martinez has to knock him out because this goes to the scorecard. The number of punches Gonzalez is going to throw uh, is just going to power him to a win. Uh, body shots and uppercuts, which is Martinez's specialty. He wings his left hooks. That, that could be dangerous, but that, that could also be dangerous uh, uh, punches to throw. But the punches that are going to be effective with Martinez are the uppercuts and the body shots, especially when he's doing it from both angles, from lefty and righty. That's going to give issues to any fighter, you, legend or not. You know, it's, it's, it's frustrating to have to cover uh, both styles. And then if Martinez can carry some kind of discipline and strategy, not just going forward and being aggressive and, and, and looking for the big shots. But if he can actually fight on the back foot, like we've seen him box. You know, I've seen him use his, his, his angles uh, backing up as well. If he, can, if he can bring a little bit of both those things and Chocolatito can be pushed back and have to come forward looking for him, Martinez can win this fight. He's, he's a very dangerous fighter. We know that, but he's also a live dog. What was your specialty? Punching from different angles, believe it or not. You know, the footwork punch? and pissing people off. 
footwork, uh, frustrating opponents, speed, and believe it or not, I was a sneaky body puncher. I was a sneaky body puncher, just like Martinez. Only Martinez has the power, <laughs> you know. But I, I, I would, I would frustrate opponents. Mm. I would not let them set their feet, and I would hurt them to the body because I couldn't hit, hurt them upstairs, and the body doesn't have, you know, it, it doesn't take the big power. And that's what Martinez brings to the table. Whenever you punch, whenever you punch someone when they're not prepared, whenever you punch someone that's an awkward angle, they're not accustomed to getting hit from that spot. So it's it, it's unexpected, and those are the punches that hurt. My trainer always uses an analogy, and it's a great analogy. If you're walking into a room and there's a pole in the middle of the room and the lights are on and you expect to get hit that pole, you're going to brace for it. Turn off the lights and walk into the same room and walk in and then get hit by the pole. You're going to react a lot different. It's, it's going to buckle your knees, and it's going to hurt a lot more because you didn't see it coming. That's all getting hit from an unexpected angle feels like. It's a good analogy. That's my trainer, Dean Campos. I like that. All right, go to the bar. All right, go into a room. When we come back, my conversation with Eddie Hearn. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, that's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices... You're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back. And joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because, God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I, I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. 
I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Covington. Masvidal. The rivalry will be renewed this Saturday night, and FanDuel Sportsbook is making things even more exciting by offering new customers 30 to 1 odds on either fighter. That's right, you could win 150 bucks on a $5 bet. Just sign up for the FanDuel Sportsbook using promo code BOXING. Pick your fighter and get ready to win big. FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook. It's super quick to get started, and you can withdraw your winnings in a snap. Don't miss your chance to cash in on one of the biggest fights of the year. Sign up for FanDuel Sportsbook using promo code BOXING today. All right, here with Eddie Hearn, Matchroom Boxing, Matchroom Boxing USA. We are in San Diego for the Chocolatito Julio Cesar Martinez fight. That's a fight you can see exclusively on DAZN in the U.S. Eddie, I'll get to that, but we began this day on Wednesday with the Canelo Alvarez-Dimitri Bevel press conference. Now, last year... After the Saunders fight, I'm guessing you probably knew there was a good chance you'd lose Canelo because Canelo wanted that Caleb Plant fight, wanted to become undisputed. And while you did try to bring Canelo or bring Plant over to you know, DAZN matchroom, yeah, you knew that was a tough, tough fight to make on your side. Going into this year, the odds were basically even, right? Like, you know, Canelo would have options with PBC, namely a Jamal Charlo fight, David Benavidez, whatever it may be. And you had Dimitri Bivol, Gennady Golovkin, that side. You ultimately won out. Canelo signed a multi-fight deal with Matchroom. I guess my question is, how did you kind of win that battle for Canelo? Um, I think a lot of it is built over the last sort of 18 months, you know, in terms of the relationship that we've built. We did three fights together very quickly, didn't we? We did Callum Smith, we did Avni Yildirim, and we did Billy Joe Saunders. Um, after that, I did feel, you're right, that Canelo's star power would bring Plant to wherever we needed him to be. I didn't anticipate the stubbornness of the PBC to basically say, you're not getting Plant unless Canelo comes over to us. So at that point, I kind of knew that we would probably have to lose a fight with Canelo Alvarez. Um, we did talk about the Dimitri Bivol fight during that period as well, but I kind of like felt that I was, you know, banging my head against a, a, a brick wall because I knew how badly he wanted undisputed, and I couldn't even really convince him that he should fight Dimitri Bivol. Like in my heart of hearts, I knew that he had to fight Plant because that was always the goal for us, for him to be undisputed. And Eddie Reynoso and Canelo Alvarez said to me, "Look." We're going to take this fight, but look, you're our guy. We love working with you, etc. And those words are nice, but you hope that it actually leads to um, something in the future. This time around, you know, Eddie Reynoso um, said to us, look, what, what's your thoughts? You know, let us know your plans. We've had an offer from PBC. We've had other offers from other people. And, you know, I said to them that I feel that, you know, one potential is to become undisputed at 175. You've done it at 168. It would be historic to go up to 175 and do the same. In the meantime, of course, there was the talks of Gennady Golovkin. That fight remains probably the biggest fight in boxing. 
Um, there's a huge amount of money available for both guys for that fight. So we started to incorporate that into the sort of two-fight plan. So I felt that the good thing about what we had was Canelo likes to face the champions. And he likes to fight people where he feels like he's actually going to be getting something and adding it to the resume and making history in that fight. And I always knew that Jamal Charlo would ultimately be a voluntary defense of his 168 titles. And that doesn't really appeal to Canelo Alvarez. I mean, when was the last time that Canelo Alvarez made a voluntary defense of any title? I mean, I, I don't I don't think that exists. You know, um, Rocky Fielding, I think actually, oh no, he was even mandatory at the time, I think. So um, I think basically I felt that because of the challenge of taking on a champion at 175, we had a good chance to, to land Canelo Alvarez. Obviously, financially, the deal's always got to match up. And I felt like he wanted to work with us. He wanted to to be back with, with me and Matchroom. And um, it was a long time coming. It was probably four weeks I flew to uh, San Diego before the um, Jesse Rodriguez fight. And it's, it's, it's been, yeah, four weeks, basically. And quite a, quite a sort of long four weeks because you feel like you've got it. You feel like you haven't got it. Mike Coppinger puts a story out. Everyone gets a bit annoyed. Where's that come from? Who said that? We haven't done a deal yet. And, you know, eventually we got it over the line. What was the more challenging part of this deal to put together? The one where he's facing Bevel or the back half of it with Gennady Golovkin? Probably the Golovkin fight. You know, although that's a financially bigger fight, it's obviously there's a lot of history there. And they don't like each other. I mean, that's that's clear to see. Still, even. Yeah, <laughs> and I, th I feel that they didn't really like each other before the fight. They still don't like... I, th I think everybody's matured a lot since th those you know, those two fights. I know it was only, what, three years ago, but yeah. I just think that you only have to ask Canelo a question, as we saw today at the press conference, for him to just snap back something about Gennady. And then you see Gennady's comments across social during the week about the two, you know, defeats. And and um, so that fight's always harder to make because there is a little bit of animosity. But, like, I think what people have got to understand about Canelo is, is he will fight anyone. And... People talk about, oh, he won't fight this guy, won't fight that guy. I've never s heard him turn down. Like, these people, Chris, you know, sometimes in boxing, you get people that come in and say, oh, maybe could we have an easier one? You know, we've just fought all these guys. Is there a, an easy fight? They never want to do that. So he was always up for fighting Gennady Golovkin if the deal made sense, if people actually wanted to see that fight. And people did want to see that fight. They do want to see that fight. And... And he's more than happy to accept the challenge. Mm -hmm. You have referred to this as a multi-fight deal. Most people have focused on the two fights, but the aforementioned Mike Coppinger has said there may be a third fight in the works for December. Um, how likely is it that we see? Very likely. I mean, that was really... Um, we always discussed a two-fight deal, and probably about two weeks ago, Eddie Reynoso came to me and said, let's lock in a third fight for December. So although the two fights are papered, the third fight is very much uh, being worked on at the moment. They want to do that internationally. You know, December always kind of sits to be a fight that um, is um, more like an interim fight. Do you know what I mean? You've got Cinco de Mayo, you've got September. December's like the Abney Yildirim fight, for example. I know that was February, but it's just that interim bout where it's something a little bit different. I would love to see Canelo Alvarez fight in Guadalajara or in London or somewhere like that. I mean, can you imagine 
a, a fight with Canelo in Guadalajara. That, that would be a, such a historic moment. We do have options in the UK with John Ryder because he's going to be the mandatory challenger. Um, Makabu has been mentioned as well, the Cruiserweight World Champion for December. So there, there's plenty of options out there. I think Sal is really focused on, on Dimitri Bivol, but it's my intention with Eddie Reynoso to lock up that December fight you know, over the next month or so. So Golovkin would come in between that. And if you, a lot of the hardcore boxing fans kind of get a little irked at the idea of a third Golovkin fight. It's a weird difference. Like the casual fans, I think, are still interested. The hardcore fans are like, Gennady's going to be 40 years old. It's well past his expiration date. How do you view it? Do you believe that fight is past its expiration date? Oh, no. Date? I mean, you know, it was only, what, less than three years ago we saw two of the best fights that we've seen in boxing. And... I think the fight is very different now. I think the fight is more aggressive now. I think both guys will be looking to go out and actually win the fight by knockout. Um, and Gennady will think to himself, you know, I've had two decisions that have been close. I need to win this fight by knockout. I think he'll also think to himself that if I lose the fight, it's my last fight. So I'm going to go in there and give it absolutely everything. I think Canelo feels like he's improved a lot during that period and he will knock out Gennady Golovkin this time. So I think the fight will be very, very explosive. Hardcore fight fans are, are sort of quite strange people. You know, you get, bunch. you get two of the best fights you've ever seen, then they want to do it again. It's like, oh, it's too late. It's like, guys, it's only three years ago. I mean, I guess the inactivity of Gennady, you know, some really no big fault of his own, but coming off the back of the pandemic might make people think that. But trust me, when that fight gets announced and they go head to head and, and the back and forth start, that's a monster. Yeah, no question. All right, the reason we're here is for Chocolatito against Martinez. When you put this fight together about five weeks ago after Estrada bailed out, what surprised you more, that Martinez was willing to move up for this fight or that Chocolatito would take it? I think that um, a bit of both. I mean, one, one, thing, one of the great things we see about the smaller weight classes is people willing to take risks and people willing to jump up divisions to take fights at late notice you know etc etc and when I was actually sitting in a cinema at the time watching a film and I got the message from Estrada's manager to say um, I'm really sorry he's got COVID he just can't recover in time he's not going to be ready and I was sort of sitting there watching this film thinking I can't believe it you know Estrada Chocolatito 3 was really a great fight for the schedule and then I started thinking about and Carjas I started thinking about other people then I thought to myself we, we told Julio Cesar Martinez that, that uh, March the 12th was... Uh, we told Julio Cesar Martinez that March the 12th had potential. So he was kind of like getting ready, but he's never really getting ready, Julio Cesar Martinez. And I texted Eddie Reynoso and I just said, do you think there's any chance that Julio Cesar will step up and fight Chocolatito? And he went, wait for... You know, let me come back to you. Message me back five minutes later going, my crazy man is ready. And that was it. Like, the rest is history. And we just have... Like, I can't say that it's a better fight than Estrada Chocolatito 3, but I think it's a more intriguing fight. Like, we just don't know what we're going to get. Martinez could emerge to be a true Mexican star after the weekend. We're going to have 8,000 in the arena in San Diego. The atmosphere is going to be incredible. He may get schooled by Chocolatito at the same time, who looks incredible, who looks fresh, who's had a very long training camp. But when you look at the mix of fights... Anywhere between, you know, 112, 115, whatever it is, you've got Chocolatito, you've got Estrada, you've got Jesse Rodriguez, you've got Rungvisai, 
Um, you know, so many great fighters there. Julio Cesar Martinez, who could step up, step down, whatever. There's just so many great fights to make. And I think Saturday, I think we're going to get something really special with this fight. Um, you're either going to see Chocolatito triumph as just a guy that will fight anybody and just a pound-for-pound pound legend, or you're going to see a new star of Mexican boxing emerge. Chocolatito became something of a known commodity in the U.S., based on those Superfly shows HBO put on for several years. You now have kind of some pieces to move around in that division. Maybe Martinez stays at 115. You had Bam Rodriguez winning last month, saying he's going to stay at 115. I mean, do you envisioning, because you, like you said, these guys will fight anybody, anytime. That kind of dynamic where you can just mix and match these guys a few times I think a year? Li yeah, literally, you could pick, put the guys into a hat and pick out any two in their super fights, you know. I mean, if Julio Cesar Martinez wins this weekend, Julio Cesar Martinez against Juan Estrada is a super fight, you know, for Mexican boxing. Jesse Rodriguez against Martinez. Jesse Rodriguez against Estrada. Jesse Rodriguez against Chocolatito. Rungvisai. Like, there, there are so many great fights to be made in the division. And you can, you can confidently believe that they will actually get made, which is refreshing in the same time. The guys are getting paid well. It's not, you know, sometimes there's this, the kind of feeling that, oh, they, you know, they do the lower weight classes because it's cheaper. Not really. You know, I mean, I, I had to pay Julio Cesar Martinez a lot of money to step up on six weeks' notice and fight Chocolatito. But it's okay because we're going to get a war. So I'm happy to pay the guys well, and they're happy to take the challenge. All right, last question for you. Um, you are working on, at some level, Anthony Joshua, Alexander Usyk, the rematch. Um, I turn on my TV this week and I see Usyk on CNN in Ukraine at his family home, a basement of his family home, a bunker with his family. Um, he's away and he's made some comments about he's not sure when he's going to defend his titles. At the very least, he's not training for any type of fight anytime soon. Um, obviously, that's a bigger deal. It's a bigger situation what's happening in Ukraine. But as far as Anthony Joshua's future, uh, are you... I don't use the word concerned, but what do you think about the ability to get him into the ring with Usyk or get him in the ring at all? Well, firstly, that's the fight we want next, and that's the only fight AJ's concentrating on. You're quite right. Obviously, there's much bigger things going on in, in Ukraine than, than, a, than a boxing match, and we respect um, Usyk's position, you know, his country's position, his, his emotional, his, his family's well-being, and we wish those guys all the best. And We need to plan for Anthony Joshua's career, and if he's not going to be ready within the time frames that we expected that fight to take place, then I would envisage an interim fight for Anthony Joshua. But it wouldn't affect the long-term goal, which is to fight Alexander Usyk next. So any kind of move in that respect would lend itself to waiting for Usyk to be ready. Um, we're not going to wait and wait and wait. And you know, we, whilst we respect their situation, we have to look at um, the future of Anthony Joshua. But if it's a three-month delay or whatever it is, we would like an interim fight in that period. And um, I think that's more than fair. But what we don't want to do is um, give up the the option or the, the contractual clause of a rematch with Usyk because it's the only fight AJ wants. And he's tried, you know, people have tried to pay him not to take that fight and he wouldn't accept. So he'll, he, you know, the first question to me is, well, I don't want to lose the Usyk fight. So we need to speak to Alex Krasik and the team. But 
you know, Chris doesn't really feel right to even call him at the moment and sort of start asking questions and digging around. So we'll have to see what happens over the next couple of weeks. But we respect their position. But we also must uh, act in the best interest of AJ's career. Do you look at it as a couple of weeks before you have to kind of make some? Yeah, kind of I mean, call? we were already already in the process of of nailing down the venue and going through the offers. So you know, we, we look for that fight to take place early June or something like that. So. There is still three weeks, four weeks till the guys actually get into camp, but we, we just don't know. You know, I don't know any, uh, enough about the situation to know how long that's going to last, and I don't think anyone does. So um, we'll give Usyk the time that he needs, but at the same time, want to get AJ back in the ring. Okay. Eddie, appreciate it. Good to see you back in the U.S. Thanks, Chris. When we come back, my conversation with Joe Markovsky. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, That's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because, God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so in the aftermath 
of the announcement of Canelo Alvarez's return on May 7th against Dimitri Bivol, coming with that announcement was that it will be a part of a DAZN pay-per-view. That is obviously representing a shift in the business model for DAZN, which burst onto the scene in 2018. Uh effectively trying to eliminate pay-per-view, is now getting into the pay-per-view business. Now, to kind of break it down, I want to bring in Joe Markovsky, uh, vice president over at DAZN. Joe, I guess we, we did a podcast back in December, and we kind of alluded to this coming. But now that it's here, kind of break down for me why this is necessary and what, you know, just how often will it be used um, and what can boxing fans expect from the pay-per-view model over at the zone? There's three questions there. Good to be speaking with you as well, Chris. <laughs> uh, good morning. Um, look, why is it necessary uh, for us to do this? It's necessary because to continue delivering the best-in-market value offer we do in terms of regularity and quality of fights, we need to be in the pay-per-view business. Uh, the market has evolved. Canelo Alvarez's stardom has evolved. Uh, we've expanded our business into new markets with our established pay-per-view stars who will not fight without being a participant in the pay-per-view revenue share, Anthony Joshua being a very good example of that in the UK. So both the market we uh, exist in and the, and, and the uh, scale of our business has changed, and we believe, we know, that to get the fights we want to get on the platform and the fights that fight fans want to see, we need to occasionally make use of pay-per-view technology and a pay-per-view commercial platform. Um, it's not a decision we took lightly. Clearly, myself and other broadcast execs at DAZN four years ago, it was four years ago, I think it's Keith in distress, uh, had a different position on pay-per-view then. Um, and we're here not sh shying away from that. We're not denying that or trying to get away from the fact that we uh, did position it differently previously. Uh, we're just acknowledging that the bit our business and the businesses that we are in have evolved and changed uh, and that is uh, a, a major component of why we're doing this um, i think your second part of the question of how often it will be used and when it will be used i think that the zone pay-per-view platform will be used far less frequently than other broadcasters use pay-per-view uh, in this country i think in the uk the situation is very different we will use it sparingly and when we need to to make fights happen uh, not every single fight on the zone is now going to flip to a uh, pay-per-view model. The quality of the script subscription content, I think, is going to go up this year. If you look at what we announced in the last few weeks, if you look at the months of April, uh, and well, March, April in particular, Ryan Garcia, April 9th, Taylor Serrano, April the 30th, there are other broadcasters, we, me and you both know, in this market, if they had their hands on Ryan Garcia, would make all his fights pay-per-views. We are not doing that. We are continuing to deliver value into the subscription offer, uh, and, we're, and we're continuing to focus on that value proposition in the subscription. Uh, what does it mean for our business? Not a lot. I think it means that we are going to continue being the best value proposition in market for boxing fans in the US and the UK. Uh, our numbers reflect the fact that subscribers now understand that and they're loyal to us, increasingly loyal in terms of how long they stay uh, because they recognize that value and they know the product we serve them is a high quality, high value one. I'm very happy ultimately uh, when this is a conversation about value, to point to that and talk about that because I still believe, hand on heart, honestly, we are the best value proposition in market. Uh, and I don't think many people in your side of the industry, on the journalist side, are going to dispute that. What changed since 2018 when the zone came into the business looking to eliminate 
pay-per-view. What changed to bring DAZN to this point? Well, I think what's changed is the market's changed and the numbers involved in making these fights. And they've been reported. We've not fed them, but they've been reported. They're not a million miles off. To get the rights to Canelo Alvarez fights and to Anthony Joshua fights, um, you're in a competitive market where people are willing to guarantee large amounts of money. At some point, as that market inflates, the model we were using for those, uh, for those fights previously becomes uneconomic. Um, and so if we want to continue serving our customers with the, with the holistically the best value offer in boxing, we have to be able to compete in those processes. The alternative would be not to compete, not have those fights on the zone, um, and they'd be broadcast somewhere else uh, in a broader pay-per-view offering that will be far more clustered and busier than ours. And I don't want to criticize anyone else's business. That is their business to run. They'll have their own view on what we're doing, but they'll keep it to themselves in most cases. We're going to stay focused on what we're doing. I, I really think this is a conversation about value at the end of the day. Um, and the value point, I think, is maintained. We're still considerably ahead of the market in terms of the value we offer to boxing fans in a number of different ways. In original programming, in quality and regularity of fights, in our social media coverage, our willingness to cover the entire sport, which no one else does in boxing. Um, we serve boxing fans really, really well. Uh, we've been... I think very, very good value for a long time. We're going to continue being very good value. Uh, and I think ultimately I'm confident having, I know this business inside out. Uh, I'm confident we're making the right decision. Do you have a target or a max number of pay-per-views in your mind for a calendar year? I think that's what gets, because as you well know, boxing's become kind of saturated with pay-per-views where it's almost monthly that people are being asked to th shell out an extra $75 or whatever it is. Do you in your mind have a max number that it will go to? We're, we're not going to use it regularly. We're going to use it sparingly. Uh, we're going to use it far less than other people in the market use it. I'm not going to name names or point to fights, but there have been lots of fights recently, and you know the fights I'm referring to, uh, that in my mind should never be pay-per-views. And I think the reported numbers that um, get released by, by various you know places online and by chatter in the industry reflect the fact they're not seen by consumers as interesting pay-per-view nights. Um, we're going to use it sparingly and where we have to use it. Um, you're not going to see it uh, be a, a month, you know, month to month pay-per-view culture on the zone. I can assure you the senior, most senior levels of our business, our board, when we're talking about our boxing business, they are very, very clear that the value to our business longer term is in growing that subscription base who have been loyal to us, who have been good to us. We've been good to them. We've served them with tremendous value. Uh, they've, they've stuck around in increasing numbers. The length of time they stay on our platform of subscribers is, is longer and longer every year. Uh, we get, we've got to know them better. They've got to know us better. Uh, and the relationship's stronger and stronger. Our business and our board are absolutely clear that if we uh, play with that group too much uh, or at all, we lose them and we're not going to do that. And that it, it will ultimately reflect in our, our pay-per-view decision-making. It will be sparingly, not regularly. You've been in the Canelo Alvarez business since 2018, beginning with the Rocky Fielding fight. Do you believe that you could have stayed in the Canelo business with this two-fight deal without the use of pay-per-view no i don't and that's a reflection of by the way canelo's popularity and his growing stardom because the market for his rights is far more competitive than it was a couple of years ago um good for him he's 
an incredible fighter. He's an incredible marketeer. He's loved and adored by fans all around the world, particularly in the US and in Mexico. Um, he's transcending Mexican-American boxing fans, which I think was probably the vast majority of his audience a few years ago. He's a, tran he's a transcendent star with super brand power and super stardom. So those kind of people in this country get heavily rewarded and the market is reflecting that. Um, so I'm happy for him. I'm confident in the numbers that we've put forward and the model will employ that it's an economically sound decision for our business. Um, I think it's reflective of all those things. Mm -hmm. Last question for you. Do you, the announced pay-per-view for Canelo against Bevel, uh, $59.99 on top of the $19.99 that you'd pay for a monthly DAZN subscription. There are other ways to do it, of course, getting the, the annual subscription, uh, which most boxing fans, I would imagine, uh, have. Do you see price points as being fluid, like as you move forward, or do you aim to stay in one certain area? Pay-per-view price points. Pay-per-view price points. Yeah, hmm. there will be. And I think Canelo is always going to be at the top end of that market because he's the top, currently he's the top pay-per-view star in the U.S., um, so I think on a case-by-case -case basis, the cost, the incremental cost of a zone pay-per-view will be fluid, yes. Um, but again, we're going to use it sparingly uh, with an eye always on value because we maintain our position that we are the best value play in boxing for fans. Uh, I'd encourage them that the, 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 the annual pass is a fantastic uh, value for fans. Um, Eddie wants to do 50 shows this year on his own, Eddie Hearn. Golden Boy, Triple G, our broader offer of content, our original programming offer, our day-to-day DAZN boxing show output. If you're a boxing fan, the value DAZN serves you is incredible. Uh, we're going to continue doing that. Good to be back in the Canelo business after he uh, went off and became undisputed uh, for one fight. I, uh, I've been practicing in Spanish how to say welcome <laughs> back to DAZN, and maybe you'll see that later today at the press conference. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll bottle it and, and, and not go through with it, but I've been practicing. Look, we've been in the Canelo Alvarez business for a while. Um, we love working with him. Uh, he took a little hiatus, which, you know, I put on a personal level, I really respect what he's doing, right? He's not letting a broadcast relationship affect uh, who he fights and when he fights them. You have to respect that from a sporting perspective, clearly from my business side I want Canelo Alvarez fighting on his own as often as possible because he's such a powerful driver for our business um, we've struck a good deal I think 2022 is DAZN and Canelo in, in, in cahoots in partnership Matchroom Boxing are fantastic partners of ours they do a great job promoting Canelo uh, I think if you look at our broader offer of content with Ryan back fighting with Katie uh, Taylor and Amanda Serrano in a historic clash the week before Canelo then you're into May with Canelo. Then you're into the summer with our, our broader roster, the Munguias and the Diazes and the Garcias again. Um, you're talking about a very, very strong five or six month uh, play here. So um, I'm going to take uh, the opportunities to, to sleep and rest where I can because I don't think there's going to be much of that over the summer months. Well, Joe, I appreciate you laying that out for me. Appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. All right, time now for this week's picks brought to you by FanDuel. If you have been betting with me since I started doing this in January, you have probably won a decent amount of money. Last week, I told you to take Josh Taylor by decision over Jack Catterall. What happened? Josh Taylor won by decision. This week, I am locked in on the Jose Ramirez-Jose Pedraza fight. That is Friday night in Fresno, California. 140-pound fight between Ramirez, a former champion at 140, and Pedraza, one of the more well-known names in multiple weight classes. So, ordinarily, 
I would lean heavily towards Jose Ramirez. But I have some questions here. Ramirez has not fought since May of 2021. Now, Pedraza last fought in June of 2021, so he has been just as inactive. But Ramirez's last fight was against Taylor. He lost a big fight, a undisputed championship fight. And I thought in that moment that Jose Ramirez, who's a pretty big guy for 140 pounds, would take that opportunity to move up and wait. He decided to stay at 140 and is going to try to get one or more of his titles back. That worries me a little bit. Pedraza, he has been at 140-plus pounds for his last four fights, so I think he's more comfortable at this weight. And I think Pedraza, whose losses have largely come at the highest level, he was stopped by Gervonta Davis, he went the distance with Vasily Lomachenko, and he lost to Jose Zepeda. These are not bad losses. So, I am going to take the underdog in this fight. That is Jose Pedraza, plus 390 over at FanDuel right now. And I'm going to take him by decision, which is at plus 550. Now, one other thing here. The location worries me as I make this bet. I agonized over this bet because of where this fight is. Fresno, California, the home region of Jose Ramirez. And we saw with Taylor against Catterall in Glasgow, Taylor's backyard, you know, that location matters. That beating a guy on his home turf is really difficult. But I think Pedraza's got one last signature performance in him, and I am concerned about Jose Ramirez getting back down to 140 uh, to make the weight for this fight. So I'm going underdog here. Pedraza by decision over Ramirez. That's my picks brought to you by FanDuel. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Sergio Mora. Eddie Hearn, and Joe Markovsky for joining the show. As always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you can download podcasts. And I'll see you next week. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one -on -one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.